Well, as we come back to Psalm 119, as we've been studying this lengthy song throughout the summer months, uh, we come now to verses 105 through 128. We're going to tackle three stanzas uh, this morning. And to kind of remind you where we've been uh, throughout this journey, uh, the psalmist David has been meditating upon the goodness of the Word of God. Uh, He is not simply focused upon the different aspects of the Word of God, but he's also been thinking about the different uses of the Word of God. And in particular this morning, as the psalmist David exhaustively celebrates and rejoices in the gift that is our Bibles, uh, he tells us that when it comes to the Word of God, we have a directive, a special revelation of direction for every area, every aspect, every circumstance, every condition in life. You know, as I was preparing uh, our sermon series through Psalm 119, and quite frankly, it could be much longer than the nine sermons that we're going to tackle together, uh, I, I was a little fearful that it might get boringly redundant. But as it continues to unfold before us, there's so much practical knowledge to glean from, to understand as David thinks about the Word of God, the aspects of the Word of God, the doctrine of the Word of God, and then the uses of the Word of God as well. And so probably the most familiar verse in this entire Psalms, verse 105, is going to be kind of the forefront of our time together this morning. And so before we read it, let's ask for God's help uh, to hear it rightly. Father in heaven, we do come knowing that man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. And so, Father, we pray that we will uh, approach this word hungry, uh, hungry to know more about you, hungry to hear your word, hungry to uh, not only hear it, but also obey it, to, to practically apply it. Uh, to our everyday life. And so, Father, we know that we cannot do this in and of ourselves, but we need your Holy Spirit, the helper, as Jesus promised in John chapter 14. We need him. We need you. And so, Father, would you give us ears so that we might hear this word? Would you give us minds able to understand it, hearts ready to receive it with meekness, this implanted word of God? And would you make application for us and to us so that we might Uh, be conformed more into the image of your Son. Sanctify us. Speak loudly, we pray. Uh, In the name of Christ Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Well, again, reading verses 105 through 128. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I am severely afflicted. Give me life, O Lord, according to your word. Accept my freewill offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. I hold my life in my hand continually, but I do not forget your law. The wicked have laid a snare for me, but I do not stray from your precepts. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. I incline my heart to perform your statutes forever to the end. I hate the double-minded, but I love your law. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. 
Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your promise, that I may live, and let me not be put to shame in my hope. Hold me up, that I may be safe, and have regard for your statutes continually. You spurn all who go astray from your statutes, for their cunning is in vain. All the wicked of the earth you discard like dross, therefore I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you, and I am afraid of your judgments. I have done what is just and right. Do not leave me to my oppressors. Give your servant a pledge of good. Let not the insolent oppress me. My eyes long for your salvation and for the fulfillment of your righteous promise. Deal with your servant according to your steadfast love and teach me your statutes. I am your servant. Give me understanding that I may know your testimonies. It is time for the Lord to act, for your law has been broken. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Therefore, I consider all your precepts to be right, and I hate every false way. Well, as the prophet Isaiah says, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever and ever. Well, I know you've heard this illustration before, especially from me, but there are a lot of parallels for the Christian life when you look at it comparatively to the journey through the wilderness by the Old Testament people there in Exodus. We know something about the Israelites, that they were held in slavery and bondage of Egypt. God sent Moses as a mediator to proclaim to Pharaoh to let God's people go. Eventually, uh, he does let God's people go, and then they cross the Red Sea. They're in the wilderness for 40 years, and they are traveling to glory, to Zion, to the promised land. And in a lot of ways, that compares to our life as we were slaves of sin. We were in the bonds of and the chains of our iniquities. The Lord sent a mediator, Jesus Christ, to break us free from that slavery, from that bondage. And now He is guiding us through the wilderness all the way to glory, to the promised land of heaven. Well, it's there in the midst of that uh, walking or wandering or sojourning through the wilderness that I want us to focus our attention on this morning because as they were traveling, we are now traveling. We're in that intermediary state, you might say, from where we have been freed from our sin and our slavery and now we are waiting, we are traveling through a strange land full of idols, full of idolatry, full of wicked people, but we are traveling nonetheless, being guided by God's Word and Spirit. Well, in the Old Testament, in that Exodus narrative, you have this glorious picture, don't you? That the cloud, the purest of white clouds, the shiniest of shiny clouds, were, were leading the Israelites through the promised land. And then at night, the, the pillar of fire, right? The pillar of fire were leading the Israelites to the promised land. And, and you think about that story and you, you think about how kind of awe-striking that might be. How glorious that even might be. You see this cloud and you follow this cloud. You see this pillar of fire and you follow that pillar of fire. Always knowing that the Lord is ever present with you. And then at the end of Exodus... 
the pillar of fire, the cloud, falls upon the tabernacle. And there's these instructions as they settle into the promised land, even as they end their journey to the promised land, that you are to pitch your tents, and there in the center of all your tents is to be the tabernacle. And the cloud will always cover that tabernacle, showing us that the Lord is there with us. And then in the person and work of Jesus Christ, the Gospel of John says, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Literally, the Greek there is He tabernacled amongst us. He showed Himself to be faithful, that He lived in the midst of His people. And then as Jesus is preparing to die there in the upper room with His disciples, He has just washed the disciples' feet. And in John chapter 14, He says, I'm going to send you a helper. I'm going to send you my spirit so that when I leave in this physical form, this fleshly form, I will then send my spirit to you to live with you and in you. And in that shocking promise of the Holy Spirit, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, you know, it is actually far better for me to leave so that the spirit might come. And why is it far better for Christ to leave? Well, not only does God now dwell with His people like He did with the cloud and the pillar of fire, like He did with the tabernacle, like He did in the person and work of Jesus. Not only does He dwell with us, but now He promises us that He will dwell in us. That His Holy Spirit will fill us. In thinking about this very thing, Jeff Thomas, a Baptist minister over in uh, Europe, says, now we have better than what the disciples did as they walked and talked with Jesus. And he even uses the illustration of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, there on the Sermon on the Mount, we have this intimate story of Jesus' disciples sitting at His feet They are listening to the words of their Savior. They are watching His mouth move. They are watching His hands move. They are hearing His very word. And He says, as believers, New Testament believers, post-ascension of Jesus, we have something better. Because not only do we have the Word of God with us, but we have the Spirit of God in us. And so when we think about this sojourning, when we think about this traveling through this wilderness, this strange land, this sin-filled land, we think about the presence of the Almighty God that exists within us and then the direction that He gives us within our Bibles. You know, I was talking about, teaching about this morning in Philippians 1, to my Sunday school class, these proverbial crossroads and how to search out the will of God and how to, how to kind of think through big decisions in life. And of course, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says, the will of God is for your sanctification. What do we do with that? Well, we ask the kind of what Sinclair Ferguson called in the book, the touchstone. Now he speaks like a Scottish man, right? But But what he's meaning there is kind of the first question that we ought to ask ourselves at this proverbial crossroad is, what will exalt Christ more? What decision will exalt Jesus more? You know, it would be a lot easier, right? It would be a lot easier for us to say, you know, Jesus, 
that pillar of fire would be mighty nice right now. And yet, if we take what Jeff Thomas said seriously, we have something better than the pillar of fire. We have something better. We have something better than the cloud that guided the Israelites. According to Jesus, we have something better even than His physical presence because we have His Word and His Spirit. We have His Word teaching us the ways in which we should walk. We have the Word that that teaches us how we are to navigate all these circumstances and, 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 and aspects of life and how to direct every area of our understanding, every condition. We have the Word that teaches us how to walk and we have the Spirit that affirms for us what the Word of God says, that glorifies Christ, that gives us yes and amen to all of God's promises. And I think that in an Old Testament way, David is understanding that when he begins to pen these three stanzas of this song, because all psalms were written to be sung, remember, and you look back at verses 105, with all of that being our understanding... Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. In fact, the language that David uses here, he uses the same language that Moses writes about this pillar of fire by night. How it shone the way for the Israelites there in the wilderness. He says, it's no longer the pillar of fire. It's the word of God. Beloved, when is the last time that you held your Bible and you began to read it and you said, here is how my paths are illuminated. Here is how God directs me how to live. This is how God equips me for every circumstance, condition, aspect of my life. This is how God tells me how I am to exalt Him, how I am to glorify Him, how I am to know what His will is. Here it is. Your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You know, here it is that there's this understanding that the Word illuminates the way in which we are to walk. And if the Word is to do that, the very... Next thing, the organic thing, the response for us then is to walk in it. You know, it's, it's that prayer, isn't it, from Moses? I am not going to go. Do not send me. Do not make me walk unless your spirit is going to go with me. Well, the same thing is being implied here from the psalmist David in verse 105. Your word illuminates my path. Therefore, I am to walk. Therefore, I am to follow. Therefore, I am to obey. Here's what one commentator pastor said of this one verse. He says, you see, our love for the Word of God is best shown by the way that we live it, by the way that we obey it, by the way that we live it out, by the way that we walk by it. Our love for the Word of God is best shown by the way that we live it and by the way that we obey it. You know, it's that very fact that kind of reminds me 
in a lot of ways, of Jesus' confrontation with the religious establishment throughout the Gospels. I've been reading uh, in my personal devotion time here in the office the Gospel of Luke, uh, and, and it, it, always, it always surprises me how confrontational, how diabolical this, this relationship is between Jesus and the Pharisees, between Jesus and the scribes. Because he constantly confronts them. He, he constantly accuses them of what? Saying that they love the Word, but then finding loopholes on how not to obey it. In fact, they create their own traditions. They create their own laws to contradict, to, to counteract, if you will, what God has said to do, how God has said to live. And so he... He's constantly criticizing them and and confronting them, saying, you say you love the Word. You you even say that you love hearing the Word read and preached. You say that you honor the Word, and yet you do not obey it. You do not live it. You do not practice it. And therefore, one of the themes of Jesus' teaching is the same theme that's picked up by His brother James and by His Apostle John, that we cannot be hearers only, but we must also be doers. And not only is that proclaimed for us in the person and work in the ministry of Jesus, and not only in His brother James and the the Apostle, the disciple in which Jesus loved John, but but it finds itself throughout all of the Bible. That if you love me, you will obey my commandments. From Adam and Eve there in the Garden of Eden to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David, to Solomon, to the disciples, to the Apostle Paul. All the way through all of Paul's colleagues like Titus and Timothy. It's this idea in which if we love the Word of God, we will obey it. And beloved, that even carries on all the way into eternity. Because who is there in the midst of the heavens? Who is the light that shines so that there is no need for sun or moon? It's the Word made flesh. It's the very Word of God who lights up the heavens. And what does it say that we will do if we love the light? We will live forever and ever and ever for His glory. We will worship Him in the splendor of holiness. We will worship Him perfectly and unhinderedly. Well, beloved, that is what our life's call is too. It's not just the call of heaven, but it's the call for our daily living. Even now, as the Word shines the light upon our feet, He tells us that our obligation, our duty is to love the light, to walk in the light. You even see how he writes in verses 106 through 107. He talks about these conditions, these circumstances of life, but he says, I have sworn an oath and confirmed it to keep your righteous rules. I have struck a covenant, it says, with my God, so that I might walk in the ways that please Him. Above all else, I might walk in the way that pleases my God. That's why the Apostle Paul 
in his great letter to the Roman church, he gives us all of this exposition. He gives us all of this doctrine. He gives us all of this theology in chapters 1 through 11. But then, as Paul so rightly does, in chapter 12, he begins to apply it. And he says, I appeal to you, therefore, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is the Apostle Paul saying? He's saying this doctrine, this theology, this word that I have expounded before you will now cause you, and the right response to it is to live in conformity to what you have heard. Not in conformity with the world, but in conformity to God's word. So that what? We may discern what the will of God is. Paul's saying so that we might walk in the ways of righteousness. But I want you to continue on here. And I want you to look at verse 108. Accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord, and teach me your rules. Now, as David talks about the practical application or the practical ways that we use the Word of God in our daily living as a light unto our path, now he talks about primarily worship. And specifically, I think he's talking about worship here as a local church. Now, of course, David writes as an Old Testament believer, so he's thinking synagogue, he's thinking temple, he's thinking tabernacle. But notice what he's doing there. He's, he's praying in verse 108 to accept my free will offerings of praise, O Lord. And there's something that we must understand here. This is not a prescribed sacrifice that comes out of Leviticus. This is not one of those ways in which God has said, you are to do this, this, and this. You are to commit this sacrifice for this reason, and you are to you know, offer this sacrifice for this reason. No, this is just simply David saying, I'm just performing sacrifices. I'm giving you these offerings out of my own free will, out of my delight. And so what he's saying here is, is not only is it the Christian's duty to live for God's glory in everyday living, but it is the Christian's delight to come into His presence, to come into His courts, to come alongside of His people, to worship Him in the splendor of holiness, to worship Him in praise and in adoration. You see, here it is that the, that the psalmist David is talking about this, this great joy And not only the anticipation of coming into the courts of the church, but also what we do here in the courts of the church. That is what we are to take delight in. That is what we are to find much joy in. And why are we to do so? Well, look at the second part of verse 108. So that we might be taught the rules of God. He says, accept my free will offerings. I delight in your praise, O Lord. I delight to be in your courts. I delight to be in your house. I delight to be with your people. And while I'm here, teach me your rules. 
And so there's a delight, but there's also a discipleship aspect to worship. We have to understand that our worship that we perform each and every Lord's Day is very formative to our spiritual journey. It teaches us. It proclaims the gospel to us. It it changes us. It conforms us more into the image of God's Son. It unites us together and, and, and sibling bonds with one another so that we might be the covenant community in which God has designed us to be. And each and every aspect of our worship, from the call to worship to the benediction, is God speaking to us and us returning to our God in praise and worship. You think about just the call to worship. Right there at the very beginning of our worship service, we prepare our hearts for worship and then we hear God call us to worship by His Word. He gets the first word of our worship. And why is that? So that He can proclaim the Gospel to us at the very beginning. And let me tell you how the call to worship proclaims the Gospel to us. Because when sin is introduced into the world in Genesis 3, the command of God is to go. Go from My presence. You have sinned. Get out of the garden. You can no longer be in this special communal place with Me. There is a wedge between us. There is a gap between us. There is friction between us. There is enmity that is between us because of sin. And now as we come to worship God through Jesus Christ, He then reverses that. It's no longer go away from my presence, but now come. Come, let us worship and bow down. Come, let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. Come, because you come through the one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. What He's done upon the cross of Calvary allows you to come into His presence boldly and without hindrance. He no longer looks at you and says, go, but He tells us to come. That is a prayer answered, isn't it? That that God would no longer shun us from communion with Him, but that He would, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, draw us in, call us in by His very Word. That's why it's always scriptural. Call us in by His very Word so that we might worship Him and so that He might bask in our worship. I heard one of my friends say, and then I found out that he had also wrote it in one of his books, Jonathan Landry Cruz, who wrote that great book, What Happens When We Worship. He says, the call to worship cost our God a great deal. It cost us the blood of His very Son. That's the Gospel, isn't it? That as we come into the courts of our Lord together, He proclaims the Gospel to us and He says, Come. And that's why we should delight in it. And knowing that as we delight in it, as we sing, as we pray, as we hear God's Word read and preached, the Lord is indeed teaching us His rules. He's teaching us how to live. And very practically and very quickly, You see there, throughout the rest of these two stanzas, you see in the rest of these two stanzas, how we are to pursue God, turn away from sin, turn away from idols, 
even cast out friends who would bring us down, who would lead us astray, so that we might, so that we might say, with the psalmist David, I love your commandments. I will consider all of your precepts. I will hate every false way. He tells us in verses 113 and 114, he says, I hate the double-minded. I hate the double-minded. What is this all about? Well, I think the best way to, to illustrate it is one of those texts that we preached through not that long ago. When we were preaching through the life of Elijah and Elisha, we came to 1 Kings chapter 18, and it's that well-known story of Elijah there on Mount Carmel, and he builds the altar to God, and, and there's others that build the, build the altar to Baal. And, and, and Elijah is pleading with them. He is calling them back to the Lord to repent from their sins of worshiping false gods and to worship the one true God. And in verse 21 of that chapter, it says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different opinions? If the Lord is God, follow Him. But if Baal, then follow Him. What Elijah's saying here is, why are you so double-minded? Why are you turning your attention to idols of the world? Why are you trying to worship the pleasures of the flesh? No, worship God. And we know the story, right? God will prove Himself to be God. And therefore, the call to those who were worshiping Baal, even the call to us, is for us to follow the Lord who has proved Himself to be God. Who has proved Himself to be faithful. And so it's time for us, like in Joshua 24, to proclaim this day, this day, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's what Joshua was calling the people to. Stop being double-minded. Stop trying to, to serve two masters. Quit trying, to, quit trying to gratify the pleasures of the flesh while our God calls us to holiness. We have to make the decision to follow Christ. We have to make the decision to, to turn our attention from the idols of the flesh and, and turn towards Christ's likeness. We have to, as Colossians 3 says, kill our sin and put on the new clothes of righteousness. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So very practically, if we learn the law of our God, we will indeed say with the psalmist David, I hate the double-minded. But we will also say that we will not allow bad company to lead us from our Lord. Look at verse 115. Depart from me, you evildoers, that I may keep the commandments of my God. You know, we have a lot of southern kind of slang terms to, to say this very same thing. But what we need to understand is bad company corrupts good morals. We have to be very careful with the, with the people that surround us. What the psalmist David here is saying is, I will, not even, I will not even surround myself with any company that would characterize 
themselves with evil or idolatry or, or sin. I must cut it out. I must do away with them. I must depart from them. And my mind goes immediately to Jesus as He tells us those very extreme words that if your right arm causes you to sin, cut it off. For it's better for you to enter into the kingdom of God without an arm than to suffer the eternal torments of hell. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. For it's better for you to enter into heaven without an eye than to go with both eyes to hell and face the eternal wrath of our God. This is exactly what the psalmist David is declaring. That we cannot, that we cannot compromise our morals by surrounding ourselves with evildoers. We must keep the commandments of our God. We must be in steady companionship with worshipers, with Christians who will not cause us to fall, but encourage us to stand. Who will not push us away from our God, but will help us pursue Christ's likeness together. Who will pray with us and challenge us who will confront us when we need confronting. We need to surround ourselves with Christian men and women, brothers and sisters in Jesus, who will indeed point us to God's promises and God's commandments and God's precepts as they are found in the Lord. And they will say, you need to trust Him and you need to obey Him. You know, there's many different things in many different ways that we could continue to expound this text. But let me close with 127 and 128 yet again. Beloved, find that the Word of God is the lamp unto your feet and the light unto your path. Therefore, do not walk in the ways of sinners, but, but say, idols are nothing to me. Earthly riches are nothing to me. Physical pleasures are nothing to me. I love God's commandments above gold, even above fine gold. And even if I have to forsake evildoers, I will do so because your precepts are right. And I cannot, I cannot be in companionship with those who will lead me astray because I hate every false way. You know, here it is that we need to have a, a whole-souled devotion to God. That's how one commentator puts it. We need to have a whole-souled, a W-H-O-L-E, souled devotion to God. And we must have a loyalty to His Word. Because this world will try to lead us astray. Our sinful inclinations will try to lead us astray. And therefore, what are we to do? We are to let the Word be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And we are to commit ourselves to worship on the Lord's day so that we might say, not only is this a delight, but here God teaches me His rules. He teaches me how to walk. May it be so in each and every one of our lives as individuals, families, and as a church. Let us pray together. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the opportunity to come to this word. And we pray, Lord, that it would indeed convict where it ought to convict, encourage where it ought to encourage. 
Let us use the Word as a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And therefore, let us not turn to idols of the flesh, idols of the world, nor let, we, let us give in to the corruption of ourselves. Let us not surround ourselves with evildoers, but let us say, I hold Your Word as a better treasure than anything this world has to offer. I hate every false way that is not uh, according to Your precepts. And so, Lord, let us walk in them so that we might find life of blessing that is promised. In the very beginning of this psalm, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. May it be so, for your glory and the fame of your name. Amen.